Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome to Hold Your Fire, a podcast by the International Crisis Group. I'm Naz Modirzadeh and delighted that Comfort Iro Crisis Group's Interim Vice President is joining me today as co-host. Comfort, welcome back on. Great to be back on, Naz. The Democratic Republic of Congo saw its first peaceful transition of power since independence after the December 2018 general elections, despite widespread reports of vote rigging. Former President Joseph Kabila ruled the country for 18 years, but could not run in the 2018 presidential elections. His hand-picked successor, Emmanuel Ramazani Shadri, performed poorly in these elections, which according to independent observers were won by opposition candidate Martin Fuyulu. Kabila then reportedly cut a backroom deal with Felix Chesikedi, who also ran as an opposition candidate to share power in a coalition government. This coalition between Chesikedi and Kabila has been marked by a power struggle since its inception. Since 2020, President Chisekedi has taken steps to consolidate his authority and to diminish the influence of his predecessor, who has commanded loyalty throughout the security services and continued to control state institutions and revenue streams since stepping down. Having wrestled control of state institutions from the hands of his predecessor, President Chisekedi faces numerous challenges. First, how to make sure Joseph Kabila doesn't feel alienated and angry. Second, how to pursue his stated reform agenda and avoid using state largesses to maintain his potentially fractious new alliance. And finally, how to refocus on achieving stability in the country's lawless East, where the recent death of the Italian ambassador underlined the challenges he faces. To discuss this today is our Deputy Director for Central Africa, Nelika van der Waal. She was a Dutch diplomat in The Hague and worked for the UN peacekeeping mission, MONUSCO, in the DRC. So who better to talk to us today about the DRC than Nelika? Nelika, great to have you with us on the show today. Thanks, Comfort, and thanks, Nas, for inviting me. It's a pleasure. 
So Nelika, after two years in power, did Chisekedi manage to sideline Kabila? Yes, it now seems that he did, but it took months of political and institutional maneuvering for Chisekedi to finally unshackle himself from his predecessor Kabila. The two and their respective political blocs, Kash for Chisekedi and the FCC for Kabila, they had been in an uneasy coalition since January 2019 when Chisekedi assumed offers after indeed making a deal with Kabila following the December 2018 elections. And during the first year of his presidency, he, Chisekedi, had limited political power and he didn't achieve much. And this was partly due to the fact that Kabila still held significant political, economic and military clout, controlling the National Assembly and the Senate. And his allies also held key cabinet positions, such as the Prime Minister and the Ministries of Finance, Defense and Justice. Kabila also had and remained access to the country's wealth since his ally, Albert Chuma, he controlled the state mining agency, Shikami. By December 2019, so a year into his presidency, dynamics started to shift when Chisekedi, in his State of the Nation address, mentioned that the new year, so 2020, would be the year of action. A month later, in January, he opposed Kabila for the first time openly when he addressed the Congolese diaspora in London. And he said there that he would be willing to dissolve parliament if continued to block any progress that he proposed or any decisions that he wanted to push through. This, of course, led to outcry from Kabila's FCC allies. But then I think Chisekiri had a first small victory in the spring of 2020 when the Constitutional Court approved Chisekiri's declaration of the state of emergencies to fight the COVID-19 outbreak. The FCC, so Kabila's bloc, had challenged that decision, but the court proved Chisekedi right. Things heated up over the summer, and I think that's when Chisekedi started to gain the upper hand. He was being pressurized to finally distance himself completely from Kabila by international actors, I think in particular the US and the World Bank, that wanted to see some movement on, on key political files, such as uh, Chisekedi's fight against corruption, before they would also financially support the Chisekedi government. But apart from international pressure, I think Chisekedi also was pressurized by his own political party, the UDPS, because they wanted to see change. Now that they had their leader in power, they wanted to see improvement. So the DRC experienced quite a tense summer when Chisekedi supporters took the streets in major cities, such as the capital Kinshasa, but also Lumbumbashi and Goma to protest Kabila's continued influence, and in particular, Kabila's attempt to place an ally at the head of the Electoral Commission. Kabila was already positioning himself for the 2023 elections. And I think this is when Chisekedi realized that he needed a different strategy to sideline Kabila, knowing that he would not be able to do so politically or militarily, therefore instead looked to the judiciary. So he refused to appoint this candidate that Kabila wanted to see head the Electoral Commission, and he appointed three constitutional judges in the country's top court, so in the Constitutional Court. Very tactical move and proved crucial in the months after that. But perhaps even, even more importantly, and I already want to point that out, is that in the end, so the Constitutional Court approves and announces the official results of presidential elections. Not just Kabila, but also Chisekedi is already thinking of the 2023 presidential elections ahead. Then uh, Chisekedi took some some more bold steps. He organized so-called political consultations to get input from various political actors in the Congo on the way forward in country. 
And this process was supported by opposition heavyweights uh, Jean-Pierre Bemba and Moïse Katumbi. And based on these talks and the support provided by these heavyweights, Chisikedi ended, he felt brave enough to end the coalition with Kabila at the beginning of December last year. And he then announced that he would seek to identify a new governing majority in the National Assembly, one that would allow him to push through reforms and pursue his own political agenda. Then there was a first clear sign that Chisikedi managed to pull Kabila supporters into his own camp when the National Assembly ousted its speaker, Janine Mabunda, in December. She is a known Kabila ally. This was then followed by the toppling of Prime Minister Sylvester Ilunga, another key ally, and the leader of the Senate, Alex Tamawamba, also very close to Kabila. In February this year, it turned out that 391 of the 500 parliamentarians had joined Chisekedi's new coalition, the so-called Sacred Union. Then Chisekedi capped his series of victories over Kabila by appointing a new prime minister, Sama Lukonde Kienge, and he is now forming his new government. And we are expecting that new government to present it to parliament that is currently in session. So Nelike, it seems like this uh, strategy of clipping Kabila's wings has paid off. But given that uh, Kabila continues to command some authority and loyalty within certain government sectors, how are relations between Chisekedi and Kabila now? Kabila's position or the extent to which he still is in control is a big question mark for a lot of people. Relations between the two, so between Chisekedi and Kabila, are non-existent. After Chisekedi ended their political coalition in December, Kabila left Kinshasa and he has been residing at his farm uh, in the Hokatanga province, which is in the southeastern part of the country, so quite, quite far away from Kinshasa. And he there has set up a committee composed of remaining FCC loyalists, such as his former uh, foreign and defense minister, to reflect on next steps. I think some believe that Kabila's game is over. Others think that he is not willing yet to leave the political scene and that he is even contemplating to run in the 2023 elections. And this, of course, leads always leads to a lot of speculation. What will Kabila do? Is he still there? Is he still around? And, and to be honest, I don't think Kabila is, Kabila is ready yet to, to give up. He still holds significant economic clout in particular. Uh, he visited neighboring Tanzania and Zambia, which were key allies of the DRC during the Congo Wars. But he also traveled to the United Arab Emirates and likely to ask for, for support. There's also a fear that he could instrumentalize a militia in the Okatanga province to stir the pot there. In, in the Okatanga province, you have the Pakata Katanga militia, which is led by a warlord, uh, Gideon. And this militia is apparently or allegedly supported by one of Kabila's close allies, General John Numbi, who was instrumental in getting Kabila into office in 2001 after the assassination of his father. So on top of that, so the likelihood that Kabila might instrumentalize this militia you also have the arrest last week of a businessman from Belarus, Alexander Zingman, who was arrested in, in Lubumbashi. He is the honorary consul of Belarus to Zimbabwe. But apart from that, he is a known businessman and also allegedly an arms dealer with close links to Belarus President Lukashenko. So he was apparently arrested after meeting with Kabila and questioned by she said by the police about his business in the DRC. 
just to underline that there's no evidence at all that Kabila, one way or the other, agreed to an arms deal, but it is just to illustrate that because Kabila is remaining silent, there's also a lot of room for speculation and rumors. A lot of his allies left and continue to leave his political bloc to join Chisikedi's sacred union, so it is unclear for Kabila who he can trust. He also fears, and this is a big one, that Chisikedi might refer him and his allies to the International Criminal Court. And according to Africa Confidential, Chisikedi already met with members of the ICC's Office of the Prosecutor to discuss potential investigations into political officials in, in Kinshasa. Allegedly, as part of the deal that Kabila and Chisikedi struck in 2019, Chisikedi agreed not to prosecute, but it remains to be seen whether, the, whether he will live up to that part of the deal. I believe that it is wise for Chisikedi to find a way to include Kabila, not just Kabila, but also his allies in this new political balance, not just to keep an eye on him and to avoid future violence, but also to make sure that the DRC advances politically and democratically. Because by allowing your former opponent a political role, it shows that it is possible to step down after a political career. And just to, to illustrate that, there's an African proverb or saying that a lot of people use in the DRC when we discuss politics. And power is like riding on the back of a lion. And you have to stay on top of it because when you fall off, the lion might eat you alive. So that is a fear that Kabila continues to have. And if Chisikedi and Kabila in one way or the other can demonstrate that you can have a life, uh, a political life, so to speak, and future after leaving power or office, I think that will be extremely important for next leaders in, in the TRC. Two prominent political leaders um, that have surrounded, that have been um, with Kabila were Jean-Pierre Bemba, a politician who had been charged by the International Criminal Court, Criminal Court with two counts of crimes against humanity and three counts of war crimes in 2016, and then you know successfully appealed these charges but got convicted for witness tampering. And then the other key um, political figure, Moise Katumbi, a prominent businessman, previously governor of the Katanga region, the, the rich mining region, um, would like to get your understanding, Nenek, of why they both have chosen to support Chisikidi. So maybe just to clarify that Chisikidi was indeed part of the opposition bloc that decided in uh, November 2018 to nominate a single candidate for the December 2018 presidential elections. They wanted to oppose Kabila's hand-picked successor, Shadari. I think this is important to note that in 2011, Kabila had pushed through electoral reforms and revised the constitution. And from then on, elections would only have one round. So the candidate with the largest percentage of vote, even if that would be less than 50%, that candidate would become the president. So this system is often in favor of the incumbent or the incumbent's preferred successor. So in this case, Shadari. And it's difficult for the opposition because they're usually divided and they can't rally behind a single candidate in the second round. In November, as I just said, 2018, the seven main leaders of the opposition, as well as, as Chisekedi and Kamera, so they seemed settled on one person to challenge Kabila's candidate. And they agreed, they all agreed to back Congolese lawmaker Martin Fayulu. But this deal, uh, it fell apart quite quickly when Chisekedi was forced by his own UDPS. They convinced Chisekedi to reject the deal and to run as a separate individual candidate. In the end, 
the Constitutional Court handed the victory in the 2018 elections to, to Tshisekedi after the deal with Kabila. Independent observers, including the Financial Times and the Catholic Church, which is, which is a main political actor in the DRC, they said that uh, Martin Fayulu had won the elections. And for a while, I think Katumbi and Bemba continued to back Fayulu. But at some point, they realized that the cards had been reshuffled and ex- accepted this new political reality of Chisikiri as a president. And my colleague, uh, Onesforce Matumba, and I, we met Katumbi in Brussels two years ago, right before he returned to the DRC from, from exile. And he then told us that he would become part of the so-called Republican opposition, providing Chisikiri the much-needed support to outmaneuver Kabila. But I think then uh, both Bemba and Katumbi were not very present uh, during Chisekedi's first years in office, but they re-emerged over the summer last year when they were leading protests against the appointment of the Kabila ally at the head of the Electoral Commission. And then, as you rightly pointed out, openly threw their weight behind Chisekedi's political consul- consultations and providing this process, which in the end wasn't very... Um, didn't really have a judicial status or a political one, but by throwing their weight behind it, they provided it with political legitimacy. And I think both both heavyweights realized that the balance of power had shifted more firmly in the hands of Chisekedi. But just to add that the two politicians are also aware that 2023 elections are coming up. So they realized it was more in their favor to first get rid of Kabila and then find a way to distance themselves from Chisekedi. So in particular, Katumbi, who definitely plans on running in 2023. How we, when we met him, I realized that he's not just very charismatic and, and popular, in, especially in the Okatanga province, but he's also extremely ambitious. And he reportedly refused the position of prime minister that Chisekedi offered to him because he doesn't want to be too close to Chisekedi nor held responsible for any failure of the new government. So he doesn't want to jeopardize his own chances in the upcoming elections. So they did support the political process. They did support Chisekedi in getting rid of Kabila. But it is unclear how how strong that support will be in the future. Nelika, thanks for that. Um, sort of one more sort of act or one more step. Um, in consolidating his power or his recent sort of clenching of power from Kabila requires um, Chisikele to get approval of his new government before parliament, which has just reconvened its new session. What should we expect from that that process? And can you tell us a little bit more about Chisikele's new prime minister, Sama Lokonde, and how have both himself and Chisikele, how have they managed to accommodate the various political actors under this new sacred union coalition that joined forces to to dismantle the previous coalition and that included Kabila's allies. So you're right, uh, we're waiting for the new government to be formed, but I think the formation of this new government is already proving challenging. Sama Lukonde is struggling to find room for all the various political actors that joined Chisekedi's sacred union. Sama Lukonde is from uh, the Katanga province as well, he used to head Shikamin, so the state mining agency. He's still quite young. He's in his early 40s. Um, he's not that well known. And it is taking him more time than expected to form this new government. I think the political actors presented a united front in dismantling the FCC cash coalition. 
But the parties, and that is what you see now, they're fiercely competing for positions in the new government. Katumbi and Bemba, whom we just discussed, they demand ministerial posts in return for their political support, just like Kabila's former FCC allies that want to be rewarded. And the same battle is, is ongoing in Chisikedi's own UDPS party, where we found that 82 people are candidate for eight ministerial positions that are available. So it will be difficult to, to form this coalition and moving ahead, it will prove challenging for, for both Chisikedi and Samalokunde to accommodate everybody. And Nelika, sort of going forward, um, how do you see um, Chisikedi's main challenges in consolidating power um, ahead of 2023? What are the, sort of the key big challenges that you, that you are projecting for himself and his new government? I think an important one is Chisikidi can no longer blame Kabila or the uneasy coalition that they were in for uh, his failures or his failures to act. I think he really needs to step up now and make sure that he makes progress on his stated government priorities. I think one of the main challenges is also that Chisikidi, he shouldn't become what he replaced. So he has said to prioritize the fight against corruption But it is clear that he has inherited a system of kleptocracy and he risks repeating the errors of his predecessor. So there are already signs. There's a recent report by Human Rights Watch that shows that he's cracking down on opposition figures and artists. And we have heard that members of Chisikedi's entourage are now already enriching themselves. We also found that he has slightly bent the law in his favor while trying to get Kabila off his back. And we were also told by, uh, by diplomats in, in the capital, Kinshasa, that he might be contemplating to push back the 2023 elections because he believes, Chisikidi believes, that his presidential term only just started. And this, this is straight out of the Kabila playbook. So an EU official recently described it to me as le système Kabila sans Kabila. So basically, it's, it's more of the same. He also needs to start making progress on stabilizing the country's volatile East that he personally described as one of the main priorities of his presidency. For the past two years, he has been extremely preoccupied by Kinshasa politics. And so far in, in addressing these challenges in the East, he mainly prioritized a military approach. But I think he now needs to define a different strategy to combat them. It is for now unclear to what extent he fully has the support of the Congolese security forces. And Chisikidi, he has no experience in the army, no military experience whatsoever. He doesn't know the East very well. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't have his main support base there. So it will prove challenging for him. Nelike, can I ask you to expand a bit on on where you just left off regarding the challenges that Chisikedi is likely to face in the East? Can you tell us a bit about what life is like in Eastern Congo today? Obviously a region long racked by violence, but also now with the effects of COVID. What is Chisikedi facing in terms of governance in that part of the country? It's, it's always difficult to discuss the East because the DRC itself already has the size of Western Europe. So Eastern DRC is also a very vast area to cover. It stretches from the Ituri province all the way in the Northeast. Then you have the two Kivu provinces, North and South. You go down to Tanganyika and the Okatanga province. So it's a vast and diverse area of the country. It's, it's a region where you have both 
the hustle and bustle of big cities with over a million inhabitants, such as Goma, close to the Rwandan border, and Lubumbashi. But you also have remote villages with no running water or electricity. And, and to, be, to be frank with you, it, I think the eastern part of the DRC is one of the most beautiful areas in the world I've ever been to. And I, I've come to know the, the Congolese living there is very hospitable and resilient. And as you said, the East is indeed long wracked by violence. Uh, already since the outbreak of the Congo Wars in the late 1990s, early 2000s, but also already prior to that. And you have dozens of armed groups that are active in the area. And on top of that, you have neighboring countries, in particular Rwanda and Uganda, but, but to a lesser extent Burundi, that have sought influence in the region. And they often used the East to fight their proxy wars. And you, you rightly mentioned the COVID-19 outbreak, but we've also seen uh, a recent Ebola outbreak. There was another outbreak that only officially came to an end last summer. And it shows how difficult it is to both fight armed groups and deadly diseases in, in, this, in this specific part of the world. So Nelike, if I could, if building on um, some of our discussions regarding some of the challenges that Chisikedi faces, and particularly potentially in the east uh, of the country, we know that the U.S. government, somewhat to the surprise of many observers, recently designated the Allied Democratic Forces, the ADF, as a foreign terrorist organization, and its leader, Seka Musu Baluku, as especially designated global terrorist, stating that the group is a franchise of the Islamic State. Uh, why do you think this designation occurred when it did? And is it your sense that IS has a great deal of authority or control over the ADF? And how can we understand how this might relate to Chisikede's efforts to stabilize the East, which, as you said, is one of his top priorities? So the ADF is a rebel group or the Allied Democratic Forces uh, uh, an armed group that is active mostly in the North Kivu province in the in the Beni area. It has its orange origins in, in Uganda, but since 2014, it has been terrorizing the, the Congolese population in the Beni area. And at Crisis Group, I think we've always been quite cautious to define ADF, explicitly link it to ISIS. And I think we continue to do so despite the designation by the US authorities. It is likely that these links exist, but this does not indicate at all that IS commands ADF. So I think that is a, an, important, um, an important element to mention. ADF is also a very difficult armed group to understand. It has mystical elements. No one really knows what it is fighting for, what its main political objective is, whether it is a political objective. And ADF is known for shifting alliances to ensure its own survival. So choosing sites and supporting IS, I think that could be one of its tactics and might be beneficial to the group right now. There's a recent study uh, by the George Washington University that provides evidence that ISIS gave financial assistance to uh, Baluku's group and that there have been communication communications between the two organizations. Um, there are, there's also information that ADF is increasingly using IEDs, so improvised explosive devices, um, but that doesn't indicate or prove that the group is linked to IS. So I think we continue to follow the line that is laid out by uh, the UN group of experts that says 
um, that even though IS claimed quite a few of the ADF attacks in 2020, um, they described many of these attacks inaccurately, describing um, the locations and dates wrong. Um, so that led the group of experts to believe, and we endorse that conclusion, that there's limited knowledge and control of these operations by ISIS. And uh, to address your question, whether it will be now easier or more difficult for Chisikedi to fight ADF and to stabilize the East, I think when we spoke to some Congolese politicians over the past few, few days discussing this designation, some of them had the hope that now American troops would be deployed to the region to fight ADF. But when we discussed this with American diplomats, they, they underlined that that is not going to happen. So I think that it might become more difficult for Chisikedi to pursue a different track than a military one when fighting ADF, because we're now discussing with other organizations that look into dialogue opportunities between the Congolese authorities and ADF that might be willing to demobilize. Um, and it might become more complicated to do so because just specifically because of this terrorist designation. Nelika, thanks for that. And I, and I know one of the sort of the bigger challenges for Chisikide is going to be around the efforts to do or pursue a more sort of concrete DDR demobilization process. And you, you're right to, to, to raise um, the issue around demobilization and how th how this new designation might impact that might also impact, as we say, in that same, you know, the humanitarian and peacemaking efforts that have been pursued in the region. But specifically on that, Nelika, because the other layer in terms of the complication of Eastern Congo is the region and regional security. So one level, the armed groups have plagued the eastern provinces, but at the same time, rival rival neighbours threatened to bring their disputes into the country. And when Chisikede came to power, um, he embarked on a regional diplomacy, you know, meetings co-hosted by Angolan President Lorenzo, who brought President um, Museveni from, from Uganda, and then um, Kagame from Rwanda, brought, brought them together, all in an effort to de-escalate regional tensions, yet still about a year and a half onwards from that attempt. We haven't necessarily seen much um, change in the region. What is the current state of play from your analysis on the ground? So last year, so last January, we, we published a briefing discussing the tensions in the Great Lakes region and the risk for potential proxy war. And I think the main reason for tensions between the regional players, in particular Rwanda and Uganda, as you rightly pointed out, those were mutual allegations of espionage and support to rebel groups operating in the eastern part of the DRC. We then saw a number of cross-border attacks and Chisikedi, who had the plan to, inv to invite the regional powers into the east to fight the armed groups of foreign origin on Congolese soil. He did not continue or he did not pursue this military track, um, but he did manage to bring together the heads of the intelligence services of the various regional powers. And as you said, he, he made sure that uh, Museveni and Kagame met to discuss the ongoing tensions between the two. I think since you asked for the state of play and where we are at the moment, this initiative with Angolan President Lorenzo, it stalled a bit during COVID times. There was one virtual meeting held in Goma in October last year. Chisikedi also invited the new Burundian president, Nadishimie. He agreed to come, but he then backed out at the last minute. But I think 
what we see is that there are less reports of cross-border attacks. For example, recent clashes between Rwanda and Burundi at the end of February, they did not lead to escalation because heads of intelligence of the two countries spoke to each other on the phone. And that, that might be a result of, of Chisekedi and his regional diplomacy. Maybe just to, to add um, one more, more, more thing is that this multilateral track, this regional diplomacy that Chisekedi pursued when he just assumed office, it seems that he has been favorizing a more bilateral track, focusing on his relationship with, with Rwanda. And I think that is a shame because he needs the support of all the different countries in the region to fight the armed groups, to make sure that um, to make sure that rebels demobilize. And there's only peace in the East is only possible when you involve all the actors in the region, not just the Rwandan. Nelika, can I just ask one follow-up question to that? Given that um, Chisikede, you know, this year he's going to be Africa's chief diplomat, you know, holding the position of chair of the African Union Assembly of Heads of States that he took over from Ramaphosa, from do you think that he may want to use that more prominent continental role to further try and address regional security, especially that we still haven't gotten to where he wants to get to in terms of reducing violence in, in Eastern Congo. Do you, do you think that he may want to use that more global stage to, to really get everybody on his side in terms of handling regional security? Yeah, that, that's a fair point that you raised there. We, we spoke to several of Chisekedi's close advisors on the AU presidency. It became clear that he takes this new position very seriously, assembling and appointing an expert panel. And they also confirmed to us that stabilizing the region will be part of the work that he will be doing while leading, um, while leading the, the African Union. But I think we do have to point out that the, um, the agenda that Chisekedi formulated for this AU presidency is quite ambitious. It has a lot of topics that he wants to focus on. He doesn't necessarily have financial means at his disposal to pursue this agenda. And also with no government in place at home, it is, remains to be seen whether he has enough focus and political will to really make this role as head of the African Union an important one. It remains to be seen how he will pull it off. Great. Thank you so much, Nalika. It's a pleasure. Comfort, I, I thought that was a fascinating uh, tour de force across uh, many of the issues that face Chisakiti, as well as some of the context that I think Nelika rightly uh, wants us to understand in understanding the, the, the challenges facing DRC moving forward. I particularly thought that her comments regarding the designation of the ADF were really important for listeners to pay attention to. The idea that this kind of designation in a way can shape decision makers thinking towards a much more militaristic set of options and to kind of create an environment in which we think of a group that we actually may know very little about as being a group that can only be dealt with using force and military means. So I thought her response to that question was was really important, not only for this particular context, but more broadly as to some of the, the unintended consequences that may arise when we name groups or individuals as terrorists. Naz, there were two other big takeaways for me in this, um, that although con um, she kept on emphasizing that um, Chisakede had consolidated, was consolidating power, 
The big takeaway is that Joseph Kabila still remains relevant. He hasn't gone away. That African proverb is a real one in terms of succession. And I think the, the second big takeaway from me was that the apple doesn't hasn't necessarily fallen far from the tree, that, that there are still traits, those tendencies, um, those, re, those, those repressive tactics closing the political space. And when she says that, that it's, we've got to be careful that Chisikede doesn't become what he replaced, I think that's an important warning to diplomats who have given their full backing to Chisikede, um, but, but we would urge them to continue to press him to fulfil those priorities, especially around corruption and especially around in making sure that the corruption agency, agency that's been set up, the anti-corruption agency, is given the full breadth of independence that, that, it, that it should have. Hold Your Fire is a production of the International Crisis Group. I'm Naz Modirzadeh. And I'm Comfort Eru. You can find out more about our work on our website, crisisgroup.org, or follow us on Twitter, at Crisis Group. Thank you very much to our producers, Maeve Francis and Ida Holly Nambi. And thank you especially to our listeners. Please do leave us a question or comment, a rating or review, and we hope that you'll join us again next week. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.